so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC Podcast. So, Lindsay, is this the kind of creative stuff that you remember from your high school days in the Sunshine Sunshine State? Well, in my in my <laughs> high school, the equipment from the, no from the sun. I gotta say it right. The Sunshine State. <laughs> the Sunshine State. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where each week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me on the podcast today are my co-host, Lindsay Nicolay. Hey everyone, life is currently good because I got a McDonald's Coke in my hand. That's what I'm talking about. And Brent Leatherwood. I'll keep mine short. Hello. All right. Well, it is good to be back for another week of podcasting. And later in the show today, we're excited to talk to a special guest, uh, Ashley Unsicker, who uh, is just an awesome person. And we're excited for you to learn more about her if you don't already know who she is. Uh, but so that we can get into it, Lindsay, tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week. Okay, guys, we just had so much good content this week. It was really hard uh, to pick just three pieces to highlight. It truly was. It, even in the for the weekly that we send out um, today, we usually highlight three pieces, and it was just really difficult. But most importantly, I wanted to highlight Brad Walker's piece, who was a former member of our leadership council, and Brad and I actually were in a seminary together. He's a pastor in Sparta, Tennessee, and he wrote out a prayer of help and lament during racial injustice and riots. And it's just a moving prayer. And it's just a reminder that to combat this racial injustice, the unrest, the violence, the, I mean, the hatred, just the terrible things that are going on in our nation and in our hearts. First of all, we have to battle it with prayer because the Lord is our help and our refuge. And we as people cannot change other people's hearts. Yeah, Lindsay, I'm really glad that we published uh, this prayer because anytime there's this moment of crisis or there's a national incident or anything like that, uh, one of the things people always say is, is thoughts and prayers. And you think about that, and it's almost become kind of this trite expression to say, oh, well, we're thinking about and praying for whatever the situation is. The last few weeks uh, have been just absolutely devastating to our nation. In the middle of one of the most difficult years that most of us can remember, we have, we're have we coming off of one of the most difficult weeks of one of the most difficult years in memory. And so this prayer, honestly, was so helpful just in helping us think clearly as we turn our attention and our affections to God, who is the one, as you said, who, who can sustain us, who is our helper, who is the one who is ultimately sovereign and in control. And so uh, this was a really helpful prayer. We also, uh, Lindsay, not to steal your thunder, but published a piece from uh, Lemanuel Williams, who we had on the podcast last week. Uh, Manny wrote uh, about these same things, about committing time to prayer and fasting, about being intentional, about waging spiritual warfare, 
here against uh, principalities and against the stronghold of racism that exists in the United States. And so both of those pieces are things that we would, you know, without hesitation, point people toward and say that you should you should read these, you should make use of these. Uh, and, and we pray that those things are going to be very helpful to you. And Josh, I really liked uh, something that he put in there that just supports exactly what you were saying. Biblical lament offers us something more substantial, more weighty, more enduring, and less circumstantial. And that is absolutely right. That is what Christians need in this moment when so much around us just cries out because of the brokenness uh, that we see in the in the world around us. Well, and personally, uh, it's these pieces, Brad's piece and then Lemanuel Williams's piece, were convicting for me. Prayer is a weak spiritual discipline in my life, so I have to search my heart. And I would encourage us and listener our listeners to search their hearts to to ask themselves, okay, if I'm not praying, why is that not the case? And to ask God for a heart that wants to commune with Him about these things. So next up is some good news. We've got uh, a piece by Daniel Patterson, who's our executive vice president, and he actually is sharing good news about how ministry is continuing during COVID-19. The ERLC has been sending out surveys asking SBC churches different questions during COVID-19, and we've written some articles about this, uh, about some of the findings. So this one in particular was about how ministry is continuing, and he just highlights several areas for instance, benevolence, how people are giving, community, how people are coming around their community and serving. And then they're sharing, churches are sharing about different ministry opportunities like Meals on Wheels or Fill the Truck Day, where they fill up trucks with food. And then um, he shares about relief efforts. So in the midst of all of this, as we've continually reminded ourselves, the gates of hell can't prevail against God's church. And uh, the Lord is not surprised by any of these things, and he's also not stopped by any of these things. So ministry is continuing to get the gospel out to people, to give a cup of cold water to people, to give them clothing when they need it. Uh, all these things that Jesus described, he, he will be glorified and he will take care of people and make his name known. And thankfully, we're seeing SBC churches do this. I'm so thankful that Daniel captured this information from around the SBC. I mean, just with everything else that's going on, it can get very hard to just see um, places where ministry is still moving forward and being really helpful to folks. And so Daniel, as he has moved into the new role um, as executive vice president for our organization, he's been continually touching base with state leaders, with uh, other vice presidents at other entities to just really get a sense. And then, as you mentioned, Lindsay, uh, sending out surveys to uh, our pastoral network across the country to get a sense how churches are meeting the needs of their communities. And I just thought this was a really great piece and and helpful uh, for all of us who, again, there, there's just so much brokenness around us, and yet the, the gospel is still uh, being advanced and people are still being told about the gospel. And I'm just, I'm really heartened by that. Absolutely. And the truth is, as the word says, our hope that we have in Christ does not disappoint us. And we're seeing that, uh, in action in this article. And then finally, we re-upped an article that we had not shared in full. That was from one of our issues of light magazine several years ago about shining a light on America's racial injustice. And so I was able to host a roundtable 
And uh, Trillia Newbell, Erica Ho, and Timothy Paul Jones took part in it. It's really good. It's also full of resources that they recommend for children, for adults. Uh, so what I, I would encourage you as listeners to go check that out. But I just wanted to read this paragraph from Timothy Paul Jones because I thought it was worded so well. And he says, one word that I try to work into every conversation with my children about race and ethnicity is beauty. The Apostle John's description of a glorious multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language is embedded in a text that is filled with beauty and worship. Revelation 7, 9. That's where I want these conversations grounded. I don't want my children merely to accept people from other races. I want them to seek and see the divinely embedded beauty in every ethnicity and hue of melanin. And amen, isn't that the truth? If that's if that's the posture of our hearts, we wouldn't be seeing the things going on today in, in our world that are going on. But of course, we know we're fallen, um, but we also know God has the power to open our eyes to see this divinely embedded beauty. Gosh, I can't imagine a more like eloquently stated uh, version of this truth. Timothy Paul Jones is just a real treasure. TPJ, as we affectionately call him uh, often, if you're not familiar with his work, I would encourage you. He's, he is a prolific writer. He's got uh, material out on a host of issues uh, from apologetics to biblical worldview to just trying to uh, trying to help Christians uh, connect their faith to the way they live their lives. And so that was just a beautiful statement. Lindsay, thanks for highlighting it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and like I said, there were so many good pieces on our site this week. It's really hard to just pick a few. So I would encourage everyone to go on ERLC.com and browse. And that's your look at ERLC.com. Thanks so much, Lindsay. And uh, Brent, we'll go ahead and kick it over to you. Tell us what's going on in the world of culture this week. So let me start by saying this. Our colleague, Megan Smith, she's a rock star behind the scenes for this podcast. She's a rock star for the ERLC, uh, she helps collect some of our material from around the world of culture. And she gave us all kind of a warning this week. She said, hey, it's a bleak week <laughs> in culture. And honestly, that's an appropriate summary for the week that was. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but for me, I was ready for it to be Friday on Tuesday of this week. Preach about it. So let's uh, let's dive right in and review what made this week such a momentous and taxing week for many of us in culture. So protests continued last weekend and throughout the week in the wake of the horrifying death that was caught on video of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer. In fact, the movement went international as demonstrations occurred in cities around the globe. Uh, the Washington Post reports that demonstrators uh, took to the streets in London, Berlin, and Toronto, and they gathered under the banners there declaring that Black Lives Matter and called for an end to police brutality in the United States and around the world. So clearly this, this moment has captured the uh, attention of uh, citizens around the world. Yeah, and honestly, when you look at the scope of the the protests that have formed in the wake of George Floyd's death, uh, it is really not surprising to see that this has taken on not just a national but an international uh, scope because um, it is it has been such a volatile time in the United States to see in almost any major city that you can think of in, in any state across the country, uh, we have seen mass demonstrations and protests calling for justice, protesting the kind of 
cruel and brutal treatment that we saw in the case of George Floyd. And, you know, I've seen some of those images floating around uh, from from these other international cities where people have have taken up this cause. And it should, if anything, just register or be be a reminder for us of, of how significant this moment is and not just to let it pass us by. Well, and another thing is, you know, some of these protests, many of them have been peaceful and many of them have broken out into violence and um, rioting, looting. But um, as far as some good news goes, I saw several things on the news. One was uh, a group of peaceful protesters all gathered together, walking down the street, singing Waymaker. Y'all know that song that's popular right now? Waymaker, miracle worker. It was. It gave me chills. It was amazing. And then another one I saw on Instagram that was shared on the news uh, was, so there was a group of, a large group of black people, a large group of white people, they were facing each other. And the white people were kneeling, asking forgiveness. And then the black community, the group responded, they were, you could see them weeping and then they kneeled and then they all joined together praying. It was a really powerful. So in the midst of demonstrations that often turn violent, it was neat to see uh, God working in the midst of a lot of the protests to see that, that oftentimes you don't see that kind of stuff on the news. That's right. And and look, a, a number of police officials in towns across the country, uh, mayors have uh, walked with folks who are doing these demonstrations and protests. And there has actually been a lot of unity about this in this moment. So without a doubt, there has been moments of unspeakable violence. There have been moments where uh, police have gone too far. There have been moments, as you said, Lindsay, uh, where, where there has been looting that has occurred. Uh, but there has been a number of instances across the country where people from all backgrounds have come together to lament uh, injustice. And that is something uh, to be commended. Yeah, I would say that that has been by far the most striking thing to me is the fact that not just African-Americans, but white people, but American citizens of all kinds, of all creeds, uh, have gathered together this week to to show solidarity. And we have seen this play out in person, uh, both in the protests, most of which are truthfully peaceful. And a lot has been written to show that many of the times where, where it has devolved into, into rioting or looting, those have, have oftentimes been uh, separate groups of people involved in those things. We've seen solidarity or expressions of solidarity happen uh, across social media in ways that are really, really profound and powerful. We are seeing people who have never maybe spoken up or about racial uh, justice before uh, having conversations and entering into uh, this time with awareness, seeking to to learn and to find out how they can uh, advocate for justice, for equal treatment for all people, for a time uh, when we no longer have to watch these awful scenarios play out in public because black people in America receive the same kind of treatment uh, under law, from law enforcement, and from all people as many white people enjoy. One of those places where uh, solidarity was expressed was the Southern Baptist Convention. So leaders in the SBC uh, this week came together uh, for the release of a joint statement uh, lamenting the death of George Floyd and the current state of our nation, particularly as it relates to injustice. 
The letter that was unveiled in Baptist Press called for the end of, quote, racial inequity in the distribution of justice in our country. The statement was co-authored by SBC President J.D. Greer and New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary President Jamie Dew, and it was unanimously signed by all SBC national entity officers and state convention executive directors. And that's important and proof of the Lord's work in a convention that, as far as a past and racial injustice, is something to be ashamed of. But our future is looking bright as far as uh, the Lord's work in the hearts of his people. There's still a lot of work to do, but this is great that our, our leaders are leading the way in recognizing the human dignity of all people. This is actually, you know, if you, if you think about it in the sweep of history, this is monumental. Over the years and over the decades uh, leading up to this moment, we've seen the SBC uh, make sincere and multiple efforts uh, to create and foster racial reconciliation, to try to create opportunities to see not just be a convention full of white people, but to be a convention uh, that reflects the kingdom of God, the diversity that you spoke of, Lindsay, when you talked about that that quote from uh, Timothy Paul Jones. And so I just can't move past this without acknowledging how significant it really is and how encouraging it is to me. And that's an important point that you highlighted there, Josh. I mean, look, we look to our sister entity, the North American Mission Board, that leads all of the church planning efforts across the country. And they've pointed out that over the last 10 years, a majority of the new church plants in the SBC are actually now majority minority. Uh, And they're being led by um, black and brown voices. So this is, just as you said, the, the SBC is not a white-only denomination, and it is important for us to speak with one voice in this moment where human dignity uh, is being assaulted. So that was a, a hopeful point. On Monday afternoon, a strange twist uh, occurred in our nation's capital when officers with the Federal Park Service and other agencies cleared out protesters in Lafayette Square, just outside of the White House, as President Trump was giving an address in the Rose Garden uh, about the protests. And look, regardless of, of whether you support or approve of the president or not, it was jarring, just as an American citizen, uh, to hear the president speak in the Rose Garden as flashbangs were going off in the background. It, it, it left a real uh, dystopian kind of uh, impression on me as a viewer. Uh, immediately following his remarks, the president led an entourage of cabinet officials, military leaders, and White House staff across the street to allow the members of the press to take pictures of the president holding up a Bible in front of St. John's Church, a historic Episcopalian church uh, that's located right near the White House and was, just prior to him walking over there, the scene of where demonstrations were occurring. So given that the president invoked religion during his Monday press conference, he was actually asked in an interview conducted by Sean Spicer of Newsmax, a right-leaning news outlet. And look, if, if that name, Sean Spicer, sounds familiar, it's because Spicer... Uh, served as President Trump's press secretary at the beginning of this term. And so he asked President Trump on camera during the interview, quote, since you've been president, have you grown in your faith? Do you pray? You've talked a lot about religion this week. And so what does it mean to you? President Trump responded, quote, 
So I think I have from the standpoint that I see so much that I can do. I've done so much for religion. The president then went on to discuss uh, policy achievements in his mind, like the repeal of the Johnson Amendment, two Supreme Court justices, and building a portion of the wall on the nation's southern border with Mexico. Looking at the president's words here, uh, seeing his response to Sean Spicer, and and thinking about this in light of all all of the larger realities, uh, as a Christian, honestly, it's a lot to take in, and it is that because we're, we're watching a time when our nation is crying out because of injustice. We're also seeing a lot of people who are legitimately frightened, and we've seen uh, that some of the protests where they have turned violent uh, have have significantly impacted uh, the lives of all kinds of people, of, of black people, of white people, of business owners, of a multitude of people. And so it's a time right now where we're focused on, on not just trying to promote the cause of justice to see an end to this injustice, but also to see lives and property protected in the midst of this moment. And so obviously this is a time where faith matters a, a great deal. And so as a person who is grateful uh, for some of the policy achievements of the Trump administration, uh, speaking just for myself, I, I think that that question at, at its essence, what, what I what I wish the president would have been able to say was that Jesus is my only hope through a moment like this or something that can, the only thing that can sustain me uh, through a time like this or, or that the hope of the gospel or religion or faith or something is, is what our nation needs right now. Well, the, the civil unrest that we are seeing uh, concerns about uh, the welfare of religious liberty and partnerships uh, for the Great Commission. We're all front and center for this week's special online event called SBC Advance. Uh, our colleagues at our sister entity, the SBC Executive Committee, managed this two-hour special that wasn't meant to serve necessarily as a replacement for the canceled 2020 SBC annual meeting, but it did serve as a brief opportunity for Southern Baptists to hear from entity leaders around the nation. So our own president of the RLC, uh, Dr. Russell Moore, as well as entity uh, leaders such as Dr. Al Moeller, Dr. Kevin Ezell from uh, NAM, others, all were featured in the event by giving reports from their respective entities. Yeah, it was a special event. Uh, it was important because we were not able to gather uh, like we do every June for the SBC annual meeting. And I just want to give a big shout out to our friend Jonathan Howe, who's the uh, vice president of communications for the executive committee. Uh, he also hosts the uh, SBC This Week podcast, which is where you can turn if you're a person looking for convention news around the SBC. Uh, SBC This Week is a long-running podcast where he and Amy Whitfield provide really quality content, but he was kind of the, the mastermind behind making all of this happen. And so just big shout out to him. And speaking of religious liberty, Christianity Today had an in-depth article this week on the ways that different states are treating churches in their phased reopening plans. This has been an important emphasis for the ERLC uh, during the coronavirus pandemic. The article looks at the examples of Minnesota and Nevada in particular, where the approach has differed significantly. Yeah, we've seen that as these religious liberty incidents have played out, we've seen in some states that all it has taken is helpful dialogue. Some of these uh, states and and other uh you know, municipal or county level leaders have done a really, really good job of tailoring their 
their guidance for churches narrowly and, and making sure that churches are able to do their by perform vital ministry functions and other situations haven't. They've they've required significant uh, legal action. So researchers say that the coronavirus can spread in respiratory aerosols, little droplets in the air. Uh, but they, they say that these aerosols may linger in the air for an hour or more, floating farther than the six feet commonly prescribed for social distancing. These same researchers say that choir members are particularly vulnerable to infection from airborne particles uh, because they exhale and inhale deeply to sing. Uh, the CDC uh, has not provided guidance on uh, singing although it did publish a study recently that said, quote, the act of singing likely contributed to an outbreak in March of choir members getting sick. That seems concerning for our, our churches in this moment. And uh, Christians, we are, we are a people who like to sing our hymns, or as Lindsay did earlier, Waymaker. Well, Brent, you know, I was really thinking that uh, your fellow church members are probably just grateful that they won't have to hear you singing next to them. Oh, wow. Mm. Boom. There it is. Roasted. Wow. Uh, the knives come out here in the middle of the ERLC podcast. Brent, I know this is uh, something that many, many churches have been asking about. I mean, every church that you know of, singing features prominently in their worship services. And so that's a that's a big question. I know we talked about last week on the podcast uh, that a county in Maryland had decided to prohibit any food or drink being taken or consumed uh, before, during, or after uh, worship services as a part of their reopening guidelines. Uh, there was significant public outcry about that, and that was quickly reversed. And honestly, that just kind of goes to show you that sometimes all it takes is clarifying for uh, public officials what the implications of some of their restrictions or guidance is in order to have it clarified or, or changed uh, to be, you know, to be more workable in a way that better serves churches while still trying to keep people safe. That's right. And our, our guidance to public officials from the RLC has continued to be guidance is helpful, directives are not for churches. Uh, see church leaders and ministry leaders as partners for containing the spread of coronavirus. And speaking of coronavirus, there is good news on that front overall. According to Axios, the number of people hospitalized with COVID-19 continues to decline across the country, particularly in New York and other northeastern states that were among the hardest hit by the virus. It doesn't mean that we've eliminated, doesn't mean we've flattened the curve, we are at what they termed a plateau right now, and we still need to continue uh, to, to combat this virus as much as we can. Meanwhile, there's a hopeful update from a story that we talked about last week. This past weekend, SpaceX and NASA were able to partner together for the successful launching of two astronauts on a mission to the International Space Station. It is the first crewed spaceflight to take off from U.S. soil in nearly a decade, according to CNN. So there's a little factoid uh, for you. So, Josh, 
This means that once again, you can fanboy all that you want about Elon Musk and spaceflight. Look, man, I'll do it. Like this brings together all the things that I love, you know? So you have like space exploration, which is awesome. You have private uh, industry being involved in this. I mean, this was unthinkable. You know, just a few decades ago, the idea that any private company was gonna be uh, instrumental or involved in sending astronauts or, or, you know, people into outer space was just totally uh, unimaginable. And so here we are looking at what really might be the future. So again, I've plugged it before, but if you are not familiar with Elon Musk or the story of SpaceX, he is a fascinating guy. It is a fascinating story. And I'm really, really excited to see what the, the future of space exploration looks like. So from the land of Lindsay, known to the rest of us in America as Florida, Uh, This was a a good note for us to end on. Good Morning America featured a Florida high school that conducted its graduation ceremony entirely on jet skis. Well, the equivalent in my high school maybe would have been a graduation ceremony entirely on surfboards. People would ditch school and or after school would hit hit the beach, hit the waves, go do a little surfing, which I only tried once, got hit in the head with my board and said, nope, done with that. So, I mean, that sounds like a pretty great high school. Yeah, we all know that the uh, that surfing scene in Duval County, man, it's something else. Legit. Well, Lindsay and Josh, that's your look at This Week in Culture. Every day, we hear countless messages telling us how to think about the world around us. As the culture pulls us in different directions, it's easy to get overwhelmed and disengage completely or even begin to be influenced by the world. But how should we respond to everyday events and issues in a God-honoring way? A new book called Beautifully Distinct, Conversations with Friends on Faith, Life, and Culture, edited by Trillian Newbell, brings together 15 women to discuss films, books, and media. This book also outlines biblical principles for approaching difficult topics like body image and racism and encourages us to shape our lives around Christ. Beautifully Distinct is now available at your favorite bookstore or thegoodbook.com. That's thegoodbook.com. So now we're about to talk to our friend, Ashley Unzicker. Ashley is a member of the ERLC Leadership Council. She is also a student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and a member of the Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham. And we're really excited to talk to Ashley now. So Ashley, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you're serving in ministry right now. And if you could, tell us one thing that God is teaching you in this season of life and ministry. Absolutely. So I currently live in North Carolina with my husband, Todd, who we call Todd the Bod. And I have been married to him for uh, 12 years. We have three kids, ages nine, eight, and five. And Todd is a pastor at our church, and I serve alongside him in a couple different areas there. Um, So I serve in women's discipleship through something called Equip Groups. Um, It's a program where we do like one-time intensive scripture training for women. I'm also on the development team of a place called Hope Reigns, which is a horse ranch in Raleigh that pairs rescued horses with children who are in crisis due to various different kinds of trauma. Also, a few of my friends and I, we go and visit the nursing home and stuff. Obviously, we can't do that now, but we go around the outside of the building and sing and stuff like that. So that's that's been really cool. Um, you said, uh, what am I learning? So I guess 
one of the things I'm learning in a deeper way during this season is that I really can't control anything. (laughs) So um, dependence fully on Christ has been a really good thing during this time, but also super hard. We're learning probably that ministry is happening much more organically now than it has in previous years with regard to neighbors, friends. I'm sure you guys have noticed this, that there's been a noticeable uptick in marital issues and mental health issues as well, uh, and just an overall feeling of hopelessness. So there's been plenty of time to just sit and listen and pray for one another and also rest, which is a new thing for me and my husband as well. We don't really do well in that department. So I feel like God's kind of forced us into rest. So I think those are the probably the main things I'm learning in this time, just dependence and uh, rest in him. Amen to that control and dependence lesson, Ashley. <laughs> yeah. And oh man. And it sounds like you are involved in such neat ministries. So you're probably exposed to a lot of different aspects of culture with the different people that you interact with. And this Mm -hmm. podcast focuses on Christians and culture. And normally we ask what you've been paying attention to, but you know that most of us have been focused on the same thing. And that's uh, the death of George Floyd and the protests and, and just unbelievable unrest that our nation has experienced. 2020 has been a doozy so far. So we'd really like to know as a mom how have you tried to talk to your kids about the current moment to help them understand what's going on? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so typically with my kids, with really difficult conversations, I tend to try to soften the narrative and try to make it a little more palatable for them as they process. But um, whew, with this, everything going on with Ahmad Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, there's just no way to soften that. Um it's horrific and it's tragic, absolutely unacceptable. Um, and so we try to communicate that to our kids for sure. Thankfully, leading up to over the past few years, we've tried to prepare them for news like this um, by teaching them historically that the benefit of the doubt is definitely given more liberally to people of lighter complexion than to a person of darker. And so we talk to them a lot about God and how he just, he doesn't show partiality like we do. Um, and that every person is made in God's image. And, uh, recently there was a African-American woman in my church. Her name is Rosie Harris. And she said, the Lord sees our color and he calls it good. So we really try to teach our kids that we're training them to measure people's standard of justice next to God's standard of justice, which is perfect. And so as people will always come up short, so we have to aim for God's standard um, and just know what that is. Um, We also try to use it as an opportunity to bring up the reality that we live in a broken world and it's full of hate and injustice, racism. So we define these words for our kids and just try to show them that these things are not new. Like they've been going on for a really long time and they're exactly the type of thing that Jesus came here to renew and um, restore and rescue us all from. So just as important, I would say, as teaching them about facts about black history and God's standard for justice has been training our children how to empathize. It's a real, that's a real training and teaching. So they know that black people have had to deal with racism and injustice for all of their lives. Like, so trying to place them in the shoes of somebody who has had to deal with that forever. Um, so when t- 
terrible news does hit, like in the cases of um, Ahmad and Brianna and George Floyd, um, it is imperative that our children feel the effects of this. But um, we also have to not be surprised by it because it's it's not new. We have to um, know that this has been going on for hundreds of years. So um, we just are trying to remind our kids, you got to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and um, train them to be quick, quick to listen and slow to speak, but also be willing to be courageous enough to let their voices be heard to call out for injustice. So I guess that's what we're kind of doing is just trying to channel our energy from the outrage of discomfort that we're all experiencing in this to listening learning and just seeking out justice for people who have received injustice their whole lives. Mm. Ashley, those are such rich and and wise uh, pieces of advice um, for us and for our audience to consider. So, so thank you for, for sharing those. Uh, you know, you're actually in seminary right now at one of our um, Baptist theological seminaries, uh, Southeastern yeah, yes. uh, in, mm-hmm. in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And, you know, uh, a portion of our audience absolutely knows <laughs> what it's like to go through seminary, but some of our listeners may may not be uh, as familiar with seminary or have any idea what that sort of education is like. So could you tell our audience a little bit about your experience and uh, what made you decide to, to, to attend seminary and what are you planning to do uh, once you graduate from there? Absolutely. So um, it has been an absolute gift from God to um, be going to Southeastern. I live right down the street from them. And I would say half of my friends go to school there and like the other half are on staff there. So I look at it as a huge discipleship opportunity. I've been able to find professors, some of which are my friends um, there that I really want to be like and how they think about God and approach their scriptures and just understand and apply his words. So that's pretty much why I have gone there is just to place myself into a discipleship opportunity. But I will tell you that with COVID, it has been like a huge challenge because a couple of reasons. First, learning is not getting any easier the older I get. But um, second, that COVID has literally all five of my family members in the house at the same time for months. But um, I'll say that Southeastern professors have been super understanding and they really do work to help the students succeed um, in their understanding of God. And so Oh, I guess as far as a future goes, um, like where do I see this going after seminary? I am not exactly sure what God's going to use it for because um, currently I board dogs for a living and like none of the dogs really care about my understanding of God. <laughs> but um, I am confident that there will be opportunities, lots of them, to use it, whether it's in church or implementing like equip groups or discipling new believers. But for not, if if for nothing else, um, for anybody who's considering going to a seminary, um, I highly encourage them because now more than ever, I've been more enamored with Jesus than ever before. Um, and just being able to study the gospel more in depth. I know I don't just speak for myself in saying that it's literally the only thing that we'll never grow tired of. So it's been a really great opportunity. And I will hopefully be graduating this fall. So 
if anyone's looking for a good seminary, <laughs> Southeastern is the best and Dr. Aiken is the best president. And I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that on this podcast, but seriously, <laughs> hey, we it's, love it's a great Dr. School. Aiken. <laughs> <laughs> we love Dr. Aiken and are a big yeah. fan of his. And He's amazing. you're right. I, I had the privilege of going to seminary too, and it really is a blessing and a privilege that not a lot of people get. So, Right, exactly. And I have another question for you, but Ashley, you're always full of surprises. So I'm going to ask you the other question, but first I want to ask you this really quick. You bore yeah. dogs for a living. Oh yeah. Tell us <laughs> a little, little bit about that. It started like four years ago because I was trying to, you know, with my husband being gone all the time, I, you know, I have, I'm staying at home with the kids and just kind of looking for ways that I could make extra money. And I love dogs. So, um, there's this website called Rover. And so I'm just kind of on there offering service. So people, people bring their dogs here all the time, like when they go on vacation or whatever. So we mm-hmm. board them in my house. <laughs> well, that's fun. I'll have to tell my but mom about so that because she loves dogs. <laughs> yes. It's um, so fun. Okay. So another surprise about you is that you're kind of a YouTube star. And you make hilarious videos and your topics range from SBC life to mom life to, I don't want to say this because I'm a gator, but I'm going to say this UGA football. (laughs) So, (laughs) and some of them have gone viral. (laughs) Yeah. Go Gators. (laughs) So tell us, how did you get into this? And then as a bonus, and this will just, uh, whet the appetites of listeners. Tell us where Frank and Barbara came from. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so I am. I'm a huge YouTube sensation with like tens upon <laughs> tens of followers. <laughs> um, but uh, and a couple think, million views. Yeah. Um, so I've made parody videos since I was a kid. Like some people when I was growing up liked Weird Al, but for me it was an actual serious career path. So for <laughs> um, hilarious. My cousins and I would just like rewrite song lyrics and stuff. So um, that kind of just has gone on. So typically if I write a song or do kind of a video or something, it's typically about things I don't understand or as a way to remember information or something. So coming from New England uh, down South and and coming to Christ later in life, the SBC has been one of the number one things that I didn't understand. So I started writing, uh, you know, parody videos about that and just trying to, you know, write songs about it and stuff. And so other things too would be football. I didn't know anything about that and parenting. So it's just like a way of processing information, I think, but it's also fun. So, um, and then I think you said Frank and Barbara, Frank and Barbara, those are my favorite. Yeah. They're, they're my favorite characters. So they're two characters or alter egos of my husband and I that we've made. Um, and basically Todd and I, have made them based solely like loosely I should say on my grandparents but um mostly they're just me and Todd but like extra extra me and Todd so they're kind of like have you ever seen Seinfeld before they're kind of like oh yes my husband and I have been watching Seinfeld lately (laughs) yeah they're like Frank and Estelle Costanza basically so you know, every conversation starts out normal, but typically ends in a huge argument. So it's just kind of a funny thing that we do. <laughs> These pretzels are making me thirsty. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, Ashley, thank you for that laughs. Okay. So one of the things that we like to ask people is what they do for fun especially in a time of quarantine. So your answer can't be, you know, creating great YouTube videos. 
Um, so beyond that, uh, what is it that you and your family have uh, enjoyed doing together in this time? Wow. Well, we have been eating a, a whole lot. Um, I think that we have gained a combined total of 35 pounds. Um, but seriously, <laughs> my daughter and I, we started this thing called driveway Zumba. So we do Zumba in the driveway, which is ridiculous. And also <laughs> deck karaoke, which our neighbors really appreciate at all hours of the day. My husband, Todd, he, uh, he goes canoeing and fishing with the kids. And I also invented a game called Hey Mom. Um, and it's basically when you count how many times your kids say, Hey mom, <laughs> throughout the day. And so these are the things that we're, we're kind of doing. I think we reached 156 Hey moms in one day, which was ridiculous. So <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's been a true time of sanctification for us all, but we're trying to find the, <laughs> the fun. <laughs> yeah. <That's> fantastic. <laughs> Gosh, that is so good. And I know, all of us have, you know, similar things going on, especially the Hey Mom thing. I think that's probably going to resonate with people as much as anything uh, that we've <laughs> talked about on the podcast, because uh, when you are, you know, when when you're stuck in the house with uh, with children, they are just, well, they, they need you and they remind you of how, how needy that they are and what a, you know, what a real gift you are to them. But actually, we just want to say thanks uh, so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, we are uh, grateful to be able to spend this time with you. I have watched and laughed at the, you know, the videos that you make uh, for a really long time and especially like the ones that, that touch on the SBC, although I am very partial to Frankie Barbara <laughs> as well. So anyway, we just want to say thanks so much for, for taking the time to thanks join us. Thanks for having too. me. It's been great. So now it's time for the lunchroom, where we tell you every week the things we've been talking about with one another. So Brent, what's on your mind this week? This week I came across an article by Andy Crouch, who is a, a deep theological thinker, and I thought it was really relevant for this week. And he wrote in his piece that we'll link to in the show notes, the more the world is in apparent crisis, the less benefit you get from the news. In fact, the more you live in a time of apparent crisis, the more you need deep reading, mostly books. And he talks through some of the rationale that he has for that and why you need to read deeply. And as Christ followers, he points to scripture. We need to be reading the Bible more. And here's a quote that he said, the Bible does not shrink from telling us the truth about our world, including its violence and violation, but it puts that truth in context of a greater truth. And I think that's something that we need to constantly be reminding people of in these very troubled times. I love Andy Crouch's writing, Brent. I just want to know, um, how is your deep reading of books going with three small children in the house? We have deeply read Dr. Seuss multiple times. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, it sounds about right for this household as well. Okay, so for my lunchroom segment, I've started, well, I'd already started listening to this book, but I've picked it back up in light of everything going on in our nation. It's called The Warmth of Other Suns, The Epic Story of America's Great Migration. It's by Isabel Wilkerson. And uh, I'll just read you a little description. From 1917 to 1970, an exodus of almost 6 million people changed the face of America. Wilkerson compares this epic migration, which was the migration of African-American individuals, uh, to the migrations of other peoples in history. She interviewed more than a thousand people and gained access to new data and official records. So it's a it's kind of a dramatic account. She tells a bunch of people's different stories. Uh, so it's really engaging. And I just look forward to the way that it will educate me as to our um, some of our nation's history. 
Gosh, Lindsay, that's really good. And it makes me feel almost a little bit bad about my lunchroom for the week. But look, it's been such a heavy, heavy week and not even heavy week, but a heavy year. And so I've been looking for any opportunity that I could find to laugh. And somebody sent me this. Uh, I'm not even sure uh, what the origin of it was as far as like how I ended up coming into a text thread that I was on. But anyway, uh, it is from Steve Martin and it is a, an acapella thing he did with a group. I guess it's, you know, I don't know what you call a quartet plus one, but whatever that is, a quintet. Uh, and he, he sings this song called Atheists Don't Have No Songs. And it is so funny uh, because it's it's good natured. It's very, very like, it's not even making fun of atheists. It is just saying that, you know, all of these uh, different kinds of people, faith groups or or whatever you are, uh, have songs about the things they care the most about. And so then it's just talking about how, like, what would that be for atheists? Anyway, there's a link to it in the show notes. It is very, very funny. Uh, it is good natured. It is, uh, it will make you laugh. So I want to commend that to you this week. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast this week. And just as a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, uh, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or a brief review. Uh, It just helps other people discover the podcast. And we're always grateful for those reviews that you guys have been leaving. It's really, really helpful to us. But for Brent, Lindsay, and myself, uh, we want to say thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week with more content.